You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Luke chapter number five, we're going to finish out this chapter tonight, and I love these verses. And uh, God's been speaking my heart through these verses throughout the week, and I pray He'll use it tonight in your life. We're going to read verse 33 down through verse number 39, and this will be our fifth, I believe, fifth message on the uh, topic of faith, and we'll probably have one more message maybe on faith and then go into something different. But look at the last several verses of this chapter. Maybe you've read it before and didn't quite grasp or understand exactly what was being said. I believe tonight maybe God will let you see what it is if you haven't before. But look at it with me here in verse number 33 of Luke chapter number 5. And they said unto him, and the they would be these Pharisees and those that were there at the feast with Jesus at Matthew's house or Levi's house, they began to question the Lord. And they said unto him, why did the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, fast often and make prayers and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. And he said unto them, Can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and, they sh- and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith the old is better. That last verse, the last two verses, shows the danger of giving in to the enticement of the old life after you're saved. Your flesh still enjoys the old stuff. And the flesh is quick to say, man, that old is better. If you study out these verses, it begins with a question coming to Jesus about his disciples. It's very evident and very obvious to the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist that the disciples of Jesus were not like them. They were unique. They were different. They were peculiar. They didn't follow the same tradition. They didn't adhere to the same rigor. Their life was obviously externally markedly different from the Pharisees and the disciples of John the Baptist. Jesus tells them why by giving them a couple of illustrations. One is about the children of the bride chamber or the bridegroom in the bride chamber. And I'll explain that. The other is that you don't put new wine in an old bottle because the old bottle uh, doesn't, can't take the new wine. The new garment doesn't get mended with the old garment. The old garment can't take the new. And what we find here in these verses is a collision between the old with the new. They're different. New stands out in contrast to old. Light stands out in contrast to darkness. Grace stands out in contrast to law, right? Death would stand in contrast 
to life. So these Old Testament students and these who are Old Testament subservient saw these New Testament believers and thought, man, they're not like us. They're different. They said eating and drinking, the way they act and also their attitude is different than ours. What they saw was that new life of grace that is through faith in these disciples. The faith of the disciples put them, and here's the word, at contrast with the world. We've spoken already on the conceding of faith and the confidence of faith and the conquering of faith and the counting of faith, but tonight I want us to think about the contrast of faith. And if you and I live by faith in this hour, you're going to be unique. You're going to look peculiar. You're going to stand out, not just from the world, but from many Christians. Let's pray. God, I pray for your help tonight, please. I pray for power and liberty and also clarity in Jesus' name. Amen. That word contrast means a striking exhibition of unlikeness or a person who is strikingly unlike in comparison. So something that is at contrast is something that has been pulled out, set apart, and is very obviously radically different than whatever's around it. From the opening verses of the Bible, you find God created this world with many stark contrasts. Just in the opening chapter of the Bible, there's a contrast made between light and darkness. They are different. There's a contrast that develops between the water and the dry land. There's a contrast made between the vegetation and then the animals or the beasts of the field. There's a contrast made, and this is a good place to say amen, between the man and the woman. They are different. Now that theme doesn't just start and end in Genesis, but it's constant and it continues throughout the Bible. You find it throughout the scripture. For example, God's people are made a contrast or at contrast with the world. Righteousness is at contrast with sin and iniquity. Truth is at contrast with error. Grace is at contrast with the law. What that means is there is a strikingly uh, uniqueness. They're very unlike in comparison. And on that same note, a Christian that has any amount of actual Christianity within them at all is going to stand at contrast. That means they're going to be strikingly unique, strikingly unlike, and strikingly different than the world at large that is around them. As a Christian, I've been called out from conformity and called in to contrast. Our contrast is what gives worth to our witness. Our contrast is what puts shine in our life. Our contrast is what gives force to our doctrine. It is the difference about the Christian that enables the Christian to make a difference in the world. And you can be sure that this old world that tried to put out Christ 2,000 years ago is going to take notice of the believer that attempts to put on Christ 
in 2022. If you're trying to fit in and you're wanting to be like the Lord, you are fighting a losing battle. Because if you and I strive to live like the Savior, we're going to stand at a contrast with the world in which we live. I've made the statement before. It's an old quote that said, this world has never burned a casual Christian at the stake. And that's because a casual peripheral Christian does not provide enough contrast to get the world's attention or to merit wasting the wood to light the fire. There ought to be several identifiers, several lines of demarcation in the life of a Christian that set us apart. For example, I believe our dress, and I'm not going to preach on that so you can stay till the end of the message. Our dress ought to set us apart. Our music, it ought to set us apart. Our language ought to set us apart. Uh, our attitude ought to set us apart. But I think the clearest line of demarcation in our life ought to be that line that is drawn by the faith that we possess and the faith that we practice and the faith that we put in our God. Now, I said faith is believing God. Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is just following God without any kind of explanation. And if you live by faith in a world that does not believe in God, you're going to stand out. Now, we've already talked about faith concedes and faith conquers and faith has confidence and faith counts. But tonight, consider it with me, the contrast of faith. Now, in Luke chapter 5, the chapter began with Jesus performing a miracle on the sea. Now it closes with Jesus preaching a sermon to a crowd of Pharisees. Here in verse 33 through 39, there is a collision of contrasting ideologies. What we find in these verses is the old colliding with the new. Now, something about the Lord's ministry pivots right here. From this point until Calvary, the ministry of Jesus is filled with questions from that crowd that was trying to ensnare him. Everywhere he goes from here until the end of his journey, it's why do you do this? Or why'd you say that? Or why do you act like that? Can I tell you how to just aggravate your pastor? Always have a why. Say amen right there. I mean, do you, you have little kids, their favorite word is why? Why, why, why? Sometimes you and I as adults act like spiritual children and we always say, well, why, well, why, well, why? That marked the Lord's ministry from this point until he was nailed to an old rugged cross. The Pharisees come. And the Pharisees team up with the disciples of John the Baptist. And they begin to question this contrast that they notice in the followers of Jesus Christ. Now, there's some things here we'll notice. In verse 33, they ask a question. So it's very obvious, and I'll explain it in a minute, that they notice that these followers of Jesus were not like them. They were different. They were unique. They stood out. They weren't the same as they were. They were disciples of the Lord. Now, when you think about a disciple, there's three things to remember. When you're a disciple, that means there was a call. As Jesus went through the Gospels, he would call these men and say, follow me. Not only discipleship has a call, but it had a cost. 
Many of these men would lose their family. They'd lose their finances. They didn't know about their future. They had to pay a price to follow the Lord. But thirdly, there's a contrast. They stood out. And the same thing's true today. There's a number of Christians, but very few disciples. And if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to have to have a call. You're going to have to pay a cost. And there will be a contrast about your life. Now, in the gospel, study it out. And in the book of Acts, it is very obvious these 11 men, just exclude Judas, add Paul in, these 12 men throughout the gospels and Acts, they stood out as very unique and different from the world in which they were living. They just didn't seem to fit in. There was a striking exhibition of unlikeness. So the disciples of John the Baptist and the Pharisees, they asked this question. They said unto him in verse 33, why? Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers? And likewise, the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink. Here's the controversy. They say, why? Why aren't you like us? Why don't you fit in with our culture? Why don't you fit in with our crowd? Why don't you follow our creed? Why are you so different? There's a controversy that arises. They want to understand how come your disciples are eating and drinking and here we are fasting and praying. Now, if you study your Old Testament, the nation of Israel was only commanded to fast one day a year. They were only told to fast on the day of atonement. Now they could fast of their free will at other seasons, but obligatory one time per year they would fast. The Pharisees liked to add the traditions of men to the truth of the Word of God. And in fact, they esteemed their own tradition more than the Word of God. And they took it to the extreme. And they began to fast twice a week, not once a year, but twice a week. They'd fast on Monday and they'd fast on Thursday. You say, why would they fast Monday and Thursday? Because those were the days that the majority of people would go to the market. So they would make sure they would fast on those days when the largest crowd was around to see just how spiritual they really were. They'd wear their ragged clothes, rent clothing. They'd take ashes and put it on their forehead. That's fitting for this time of the year. And that way everybody could see their piety, and they'd walk around, I mean, just looking shamefaced, like they were really suffering for, the, uh, for God, like they were super spiritual. The disciples of John were the same. They were Old Testament disciples. John the Baptist is the last Old Testament prophet. They would also adhere to many of these same regulations and the same rigor. John the Baptist preached fasting. John the Baptist did without many worldly comforts. And so here's this crowd. They're over here suffering for their spirituality. And over there are the disciples of the Lord. And they're eating and they're drinking and they have joy and they have excitement. And here they are trying to be spiritual. And this crowd over there is having a celebration. They don't understand it. It blows their mind. So the Lord reveals the concept. Here's why they're doing what they're doing. He gives several illustrations. In verse 34, he said, you can't make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them. So he said, first off, I want you to think about it. We're not going to a funeral. We're going to a wedding. He said, this is not a fast. This is a 
feast. He said, my disciples aren't like you because they're not in mourning. They're in rejoicing. They're in the inner chamber with me. They're experiencing things you don't experience. And then he gets into these verses, the old garment and the new garment, the old bottle and the new bottle. And what he's revealing to them is that Jesus came to end, fulfill whatever you want to say, the law, and to bring in the gospel of the grace of God. And he's saying, here's the difference. You fellas are living that old life of the law, but these men are living that new life of grace, which came to them by faith. And he said, you can't fast in grace. It's a feast in grace. You can't weep in grace. It is worship in grace. You won't be burdened down in grace. You're blessed in grace. He said, they're not like you. He said, you can't take an old piece of, uh, or a new piece of, uh, of bottle or new wine rather than put it in an old bottle. You can't take a, a, an old piece of cloth and put a new piece on it because the old can't stand the new. What he's saying is you can't take, you can't take a thousand ounces uh, or, or whether we want to see a thousand gallons of grace and put one ounce of law in it. It ruins it. He said, so these men aren't like you. It's something totally different. Now, the Pharisees were law studiers, and the disciples of John were law subservient, and they noticed the disciples weren't bound by the letter. They'd been set free by their faith. So there's a contrast between rigor and joy. There's a contrast in the letter of the law and liberty. There's a contrast between sight and faith, and they asked the question, why is that? Why is it that they don't act like us? Why is it that they don't do what we do? Why is it they don't react how we would react? Why are they so weird? Why are they so strange? Why are they such non-conformists? They stand out as contrast as old to new or death to life or law to grace. What in the world is going on? Now, let me apply it. Here it is. Faith. Faith. If you have faith in God, it will cause you and I to stand out from this world as starkly as the sun in the sky or an island in the sea. Faith will make you a spectacle to this world. Faith will make you a gazing stock to this world. Faith will make you look crazy to this world. You look through Luke chapter 5 and you see the contrast of faith throughout. There were many ships there by the Sea of Galilee, but only two ships were filled with fishes. Why? Because of faith. You study on. There's many lepers no doubt in that city, but only one was healed. Why? Stood out because of faith. There were many men that needed help that day at that house in Capernaum, but only one got made whole that day that we read of. Why? Because of his faith. There were many publicans there in that place, but only one became a disciple and stepped out. But why? Because of faith. And that's how it is today. Can I say because of faith? You're just not going to fit in down in this world. We live in an unbelieving place, an anti-God place, a place that put, I saw so many signs out doing those Easter things. We believe in science. We believe in whatever. I'm like, oh my so I, I gave them 10 Easter tracks at those houses. But I mean, we live in such an unbelieving world. If you and I have the daring, the audacity to step out and say, I believe God, you're going to stand out in this world. You're going to stick out. You're going to be at a contrast with those that are around you. I think about Noah, how he stood out and Abraham, how he stood out and Esther, how she stood out and Daniel, how they stood out. And if you want to stand 
stand out, then live by faith. It'll make you unique. It'll make you unlike. It'll put you at a contrast with the world. They say, why is it? Why is it? Why is it that you go to church on Sunday morning? Why is it? Why is it you go and you give a tithe and you say amen and you sit in the service? Why is that? Why is it you go back on Sunday night? What enough on Sunday morning? That's just weird to us. That's out of contrast with us. Now listen, they don't mind the restaurant being open every day and they don't mind the mall being open every day, but they think it's crazy church to be open three days a week. That just stands in contrast with us. You mean to tell me that you work all day on a Wednesday, you rush home, don't even get dinner, and then go to church? That doesn't make sense to us. That just seems kind of crazy to us. Why is it? Why is it that you do what you do and say what you say and sing how you sing and act how you act? It's a contrast. That's just what faith does. Peter said we're peculiar people. That doesn't mean weird. It means you're a purchased possession set apart. Peculiar. You stand out. I think about Daniel and those three Hebrew children. They were strikingly unlike in comparison. And let me give you three points. We're almost out of time, but here it is. You're going to be different. If you live by faith, you're going to stand out in contrast to the unconverted. The Pharisees in this text are not saved people. The Pharisees, who are lost individuals, <clears throat> look at the disciples of Jesus and they say, you know what, we notice something, you're just not like us. Do you know, if you and I live by faith, we're going to look weird to the weirdos. Isn't that amazing how they would say, man, that crowd over there, that, that, that's got to be a cult. It kind of seems like a cult to me when you butcher babies on an altar. I mean, even if it's in a medical lab, I mean, that sort of seems like a cult to me. I don't know. It sort of seems like a cult to me when you tell somebody to look at something that's blue and say, no, that's red and try to convince them that it is. Amen. That's what they're doing with the male and female thing, right? Isn't that crazy? I mean, isn't that insane? I remember back in, uh, back during the gubernatorial uh, race here in the state of California that uh, b because of connections we have in our church and that town hall we did, that they, they, asked, they asked me if I'd moderate a Republican gubernatorial debate. Remember that? I think I asked you. And we talked about, I mean, I was excited about it. I was going to get to be on TV and things. I was going to have plastic surgery and just look good, you know. Man, I wanted to do it. That would have been awesome. You know, just experience that. And then when I was talking to these people, they said, also, uh, Caitlyn Jenner will be there. And I said, who's he? <laughs> anyway, back, they're like, maybe you can't do the debate. But they said, I, I said, oh, is that right? They said, yeah, she, she is a candidate as well for governor. And I remember in those conversations, there's no way in this world that I could ever smoke enough dope. Say amen right there. I could not get high enough to look at that dude and say, ma'am, <laughs> let me ask you your opinion on whatever. Are you serious? You know what they probably thought? That guy is a fanatic. No, I would say you're a fanatic. I mean, just because a dude puts on a dress, it doesn't make him a woman any more than me eating bananas makes me a monkey. Say amen right there. Hey, you live like you're saved. Amen. You live by faith in God. I'm just saying, you say, you know what? I just believe God. I believe God's in control of this thing. I believe God's going to see us through. You better believe your lost neighbors are going to think you're crazy. But that's all right. That's how it's supposed to be. I tell you, faith will put you in contrast with that unconverted crowd. 
and they don't have any hope. They bite their nails to the quick. They take a pill to get over the pill they just took. They spend all their money on psychiatry and all these different things. And here you are just anchored on Jehovah, planted like a tree by the rivers of water. It makes no sense to the lost world. I don't want to make sense down here. I think about Agrippa looked at Paul and said, Paul, he said, you're crazy. He said, I ain't crazy. I just know Jesus saved me one day. And I said, that's the part of the, that's the crowd I'm in. I'm glad I'm part of that crowd. It'll make you stand out from the unconverted. Then it'll make you stand out from the unconvinced. Who's that? The disciples of John the Baptist. They just weren't really settled yet on whether or not Jesus was worthy of following all the way. You better believe, if you and I live by faith, we're not just going to stand out in contrast from lost people, but also lukewarm Christians. That's why some folks roll their eyes when we say, hey, we're going to get that corner building and that back building back there. Like, oh, brother, what in the world? I hope we don't get it until you all want to pay for it. Same right there. Now, if you want to pay for it, I hope we get it tomorrow. But that's why we say, man, I believe these buses could be filled and we could still have revival. I think we could have two services in the morning and pack out that auditorium. And I don't believe we ought to cut back, but just add on more things. And God can do it again. And God can do it again. And some of us sit there and shout it out. Man, our, our spleens in the baptistry, we shouted so hard. And then other folks sit there like, I can't wait for lunch. Man, I'm just ready to get out of there. That preacher's off his rocker. Those guys up there are nuts. What are they shouting over in here? I tell you what the problem is. You got to get some more faith in God. If you live by faith in God. You're going to separate from that lost crowd. You're going to stand out. But also that dead crowd in the church, say amen right there, that doesn't believe God for anything, you're going to stand out. I tell you what we need is a bunch of folks on the same page, the page of faith, that just say, I believe God can do anything but fail. I think God can get the job done. I'm going to separate. I don't want to sit by some old dead head that says God used to do it, but he can't do it now. You're not reading the Bible. Amen. You got to get a Bible. They just sit there and they'll sing songs about how Daniel found him faithful in the lion's den and they yawn and then they get in their little storm of life and think it's all over. There's no faith in God. But you get somebody that just believes God is on the throne and God has all power. God can get it done. They're going to stand out. They're going to stand out like a sore thumb in a dead crowd. We got to put one in every section just to make the rest of you feel weird. Stand up from the unconverted. Number two, go stand up from the unconvinced. I think about Joseph. They said, let's get, do something with this dreamer. Hey, I'd rather have a church full of dreamers. Yep. Lastly, we've got to close. You'll stand out from the unconsecrated. He said, I'll tell you what the difference is. He said, these are the children of the bride chamber over here. The children of the bride chamber will be like the groomsmen. Like the attendants of a wedding. The rest of the crowd are the attendees. But they're not the attendants. You see, what's the difference? The difference is the difference between spectation and participation. He's saying this, and there's a lot of theological things we can talk about about the, the bridegroom and what this means and the Jewish content and different things. But you understand that a Jewish wedding feast was seven days long. They partied for a week. And if there was any kind of legal observances during the wedding feast, they weren't obligated to observe it during that time. The law didn't apply. That's a good place to shout right there. They didn't just go sit in the pew and watch the wedding, man. They were with the bridegroom. They were there. And then they sat at his table for seven days, I mean a whole week, and just feasted with him. I'll tell you what that is. That is a different level of closeness, of devotion. If you have faith, you're going to stand out from that crowd that's not 
all in, abiding, sitting at the feet of the Lord. A bunch of Marthas running around criticizing the Marys. I like Martha, but you need Mary too. Martha liked to work with her hands. Mary liked to worship with her heart. Can I say nothing you build with your hands is going to matter for God unless you do it with the heart. You want to stand out. I'll tell you how you stand out. Don't be weird. There's too many of those kind of Christians. I've preached in these little pockets of places where they like to brag on how many times they were arrested. I like to brag on how many times I've not been arrested. The other day, my wife picked me up from the airport. She's never gotten a speeding ticket. And I didn't plan to say this, but she's not here. She's at the nursery. And uh, we got in that fast track lane. I said, well, Evan, when he picks me up, we always go in the fast lane. But that's because he's got that thing on his windshield that you can get through it. And I know we don't have it, but I really wanted her to get a ticket because she's never gotten a ticket before. <laughs> and I said, honestly, you can get in this lane and they're not going to get us. I promise you, just get out before the camera and then get back over where there's no law, no transgression. Just get around it and go through it. And of course, she'd been drinking and driving and things. But, uh, but anyway, we were driving down that lane and, and it, I thought we were good too. But yesterday in the mail, we got a, a thing from California. And uh, she, she, I, I was so excited. It was like it was Christmas. Man, I wanted to open it. I let her open it, and she, she pulled it out. Man, she was, I could tell she wasn't happy with me. She said, I told you. She got a $2.02 ticket. I want to frame it and just keep it. Man, I'm glad she finally, finally got one. But anyway, she can't hold that over my head. That unconsecrated crowd... Just don't really care to get at his feet. Not really worried about worshiping him. This crowd that was there, those disciples of John, those Pharisees, they said, man, there is something different about the disciples of the Lord. And Jesus says, that's because they're living in the new and you're stuck in the old. You're living under law and they're enjoying grace. And it made them stand out from the world. If you and I live by faith, we're going to get noticed. But can I tell you something? That is the right reason to get attention. And if this world is going to look at us, it may not be because we were doing something that we shouldn't have done, got attention the wrong way, but let them take notice of our faith. At work, let them see your faith. In your neighborhood, let them see your faith. In church, let them see your faith. Faith will make a contrast. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.